I'm Samantha Sherris. I'm Virginia Allen. And this is the Daily Signal Top News for Monday, February 27th. Here are today's headlines. We now have the latest information on what country in the world is most economically free. The Heritage Foundation released its annual index of economic freedom earlier today. The most economically free nation in the world is Singapore. Coming in at number two and number three are Switzerland and Ireland. Taiwan ranks at number four. So where does America fall on the ranking? The United States' ranking holds steady at number 25 with an overall economic freedom score of 70.6, which is its lowest score ever. The latest annual index considers economic policies and conditions in 184 sovereign countries from July 1, 2021 through June 30, 2022, and reveals a world economy that, taken as a whole, is mostly unfree. Heritage Foundation President Kevin Roberts says the index is a sign that too many countries have renounced basic economic principles, leaving communities to suffer with the consequences. The nations with the least economic freedom are Venezuela, Cuba, and North Korea. You can find more about this report at DailySignal.com. Walt Disney World lost a little bit of its power today. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis signed a bill ending the self-governing status Disney World has enjoyed for decades. Remember, Disney World has been ruled by its own governing body in essentially the same way as a county has elected leaders. This has been the case since Disney World first opened. The land Disney Parks sits on is known as the Reedy Creek Improvement District. But now, the land Disney sits on will be a state-controlled district accountable to the people of Florida, according to DeSantis. So what is this going to mean for Mickey's house and all his pals at Disney World? Well, according to DeSantis, it ends Disney's self-governing status and ends Disney's exemption from the Florida Building Code and Florida Fire Prevention Code. Disney will no longer be exempt from state regulatory reviews and approvals. The bill also brings more accountability to Disney by requiring greater transparency. And Mickey and all his pals will now have to pay their fair share in taxes. And the bill requires that Disney's municipal debt will be paid by Disney, not Florida taxpayers. DeSantis says the bill prevents leftist local governments from using the situation to raise local taxes. The changes come after months of tension between Disney and DeSantis. This is not the first time that DeSantis and Disney have butted heads. As many of you may remember, Disney World openly opposed a DeSantis-backed bill last year that prohibits the teaching of gender ideology to young children in classrooms. Disney claimed the bill was anti-gay and called it the Don't Say Gay Bill. Governor DeSantis says allowing a corporation to control its own government is bad policy. So moving forward, the House of Mouse will not be getting any special treatment in Florida. We have new information on the origins of COVID-19. Over the weekend, the U.S. Energy Department said COVID-19 likely came from an accidental leak at a lab in China. The Energy Department had previously said it was not sure what the origin of the virus was. The department's shift is significant, the Wall Street Journal argues, because the agency has considerable scientific expertise and oversees a network of U.S. national laboratories, 
some of which conduct advanced biological research. The Energy Department joins the FBI in the belief that COVID-19 originated from a lab leak. The department has drawn its conclusions on the origins of the pandemic from a classified intelligence report that was provided to key members of Congress and the White House. Republicans were quick to react to the news on social media calling for China to be held accountable for the pandemic. Arkansas Republican Senator Tom Cotton wrote on Twitter, China's lab leak being proven right doesn't matter. What matters is holding the Chinese Communist Party accountable so this doesn't happen again. And Colorado Republican Representative Ken Buck said, The elites and academics owe everyone who had legitimate questions and concerns about the origins of COVID-19 an apology. The American people deserve to see all the information concerning the Chinese lab leak and the origins of COVID. This won't be forgotten. Four other agencies, including the National Intelligence Panel, still hold that the pandemic was a result of natural transmission, according to the Wall Street Journal. The Biden administration wants to cancel student loan debt, but a number of GOP-led states say that's unconstitutional. On Tuesday, the Supreme Court is hearing arguments involving the Biden administration's federal debt forgiveness plan. Here with us to talk about this is Heritage Foundation senior legal fellow Giancarlo Canaparo, also host of the SCOTUS 101 podcast. Giancarlo, thanks for being back. Thanks for having me. So explain, if you would, these Supreme Court cases. What is the Supreme Court hearing on Tuesday and why are GOP states that include Nebraska, Missouri, Arkansas, Iowa, Kansas and South Carolina? Why are they saying that the Biden administration can't forgive student loan debt in this broad, sweeping way? Sure. So that both the cases uh, raise the same merits arguments. And uh, the only question between them, between the state cases and the individual borrower cases, is the question of standing. Hmm. Now, I'll start there. Standing is a legal rule uh, that says if you want to bring a case, you have to have a real injury that's caused by the other side that a court can fix. Uh, and in this case, the states say, well, we have student loan servicers, uh, state agencies that take money from the federal government in order to service the student loans. And if you cancel all the student loans, uh, our agencies and therefore the states lose a bunch of money. That seems to be a pretty solid standing argument. Now, the other argument bought by the individual who's suing, he did not qualify. And he says that he has a procedural injury, which is that he didn't get to meaningfully participate in the executive agency making process uh, that led to Biden's loan uh, cancellation plan. Now, the states probably have the strongest argument, uh, but regardless, the merits are the same. And, and the case all hinges on an act called the HEROES Act. And it was an emergency act. Um, and it, what it does is it says that in the in a time of war or another national emergency, the president can waive or modify, is the statutory language, certain provisions of the student loan statutes, uh, provided that he does so in a way which is necessary to make sure that affected people are not worse off. So there's a lot to unpack there. The act was created after 9-11 to give temporary relief from student loan obligations to service members deployed overseas. But Biden has said, well, because we have a national emergency, which is COVID, I can actually extend that to cancel all student loans for 95.5% uh, of all borrowers in the country. And this hinges really on the phrase wave and modify. He says that means I get all the power I want and affected persons. And he just says that means everybody. 
so that's really the question. You know, does waive and modify mean cancel student loans? Probably not. Uh, does affected persons just mean everybody? Almost certainly not. Uh, you have to show that you have tailored the program only to those people who are actually made financially worse off because of the pandemic. Biden has not done that. Okay. Uh, there are going to be many people who are uh, who rode through the pandemic who didn't suffer financially. Uh, they will get their loans uh, canceled, but they don't qualify as affected people. Uh, in short, when you look through the government's briefs and the legal opinions justifying this, they made no attempt to tailor it to people who are actually worse off, which the statute requires. Uh, that's probably how the case is going to come out. The Supreme Court will probably say, you know, you didn't live up to the statutory obligations. Uh, there are a couple other ways that it could go wrong, too, for the Biden administration, and I'm happy to discuss those, too, if you want. Yeah, no, that's fascinating, Giancarlo. So in, in your professional legal opinion, for our listeners who do have student loan debt, are are they going to see that debt canceled after the Supreme Court ruling or in all likelihood should they should they still be putting those dollars aside and saving debt to pay that those student loans back well my sense is that the Biden administration is probably going to lose the case uh, if uh, the Supreme Court finds that one of the states or the individual borrower has standing which I think is probably likely um, but it seems to me relatively clear that Biden did not comply with the statute here, that the statute, first of all, was not meant to cancel student loans to the tune of $400 billion when it was invented to give temporary relief to service members deployed overseas. Uh, it seems a real stretch. Mm -hmm. And part when the court interprets statutes like that, that purport to give the executive power and the executive branch uh, expands them in new and sort of unforeseen ways, the court applies what's called the major questions doctrine. And it asks, you know, does this policy uh, raise really important questions of economic or political significance. Here, definitely yes. I mean, $400 billion is probably the largest unilateral spending in American history. Uh, political significance is settled, right? This has been a huge debate point for years. Uh, and so if, if uh, policy raises important questions like that, the Supreme Court asks, you know, did Congress expressly, clearly give the executive the power to do that? And that's just not there in this statute. Giancarlo, we really appreciate your time today. For those that want to hear more from Giancarlo, you can check out his podcast, SCOTUS 101, that he co-hosts with Zach Smith. Uh, you can also read all of his research and reporting at heritage.org and also on The Daily Signal. Giancarlo, thanks for your time. Thanks for having me. And that'll do it for today's episode. Thank you for listening to The Daily Signal's top news. If you haven't had the chance, be sure to check out our morning show right here in this podcast feed, where we bring you interviews with lawmakers, experts, and leading conservative voices. Join us tomorrow morning for The Daily Signal interview edition, as I'm going to be sitting down with the Texas Land Commissioner, Don Buckingham, to discuss how local Texas communities are being affected by the crisis at the southern border. Thanks, Virginia. I'm looking forward to listening to that interview. And if you want to listen to more interviews like what Virginia has in store for us tomorrow, make sure you subscribe to The Daily Signal wherever you get your podcasts and help us reach even more listeners by leaving a five-star rating and review. We read and appreciate all of your feedback. Thanks again for joining us today, and we'll see you right back here tomorrow morning. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. Executive producers are Rob Bluey and Kate Trinko. Producers are Virginia Allen and Samantha Asheris. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. To learn more, please visit DailySignal.com.